Well, listen, um, you know what? I just want to focus on connect groups for two moments. And I loved Catherine's comment on the chat on our church online platform. Catherine is fairly new. Catherine, you've joined uh, a few, uh, what, probably about four, three, four months ago now, maybe. You joined us online. Looking forward to welcoming you into the building when you do come. But Catherine said, I joined Chantel and Aruna's connect group this week. Truly enjoyed it. Highly recommend connect groups for us newbies. Absolutely. Can I just say that you can't do church? What does do church mean? Well, church is not a Sunday thing, is it? Church is us as the body of people. We are the church. And so we need to be, be in church together every part of the week. And so can I just say, connect groups are the place, the backbone of, 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 of us as a people. You know, it's a time where we get together in groups, share what the Lord's doing, spend some time in his word, pray for one another and do life together. Connecting with God and connecting with each other. And so can I just say, if you're not part of a connect group, get connected. Um, take up uh, what Catherine said. It's a fantastic place to be. You can find more information on our website, thevineyardchurch.co.uk slash connect. Uh, also, if you'd like some help, you can email us, uh, office at thevineyardchurch.co.uk. And I think some people in the chat, uh, some of the hosts, wonderful host team, um, we'll put those details in the chat there, but really want to encourage you to get connected. And uh, wonderful. The chat continues. Lisa H. said, was lovely to meet you there. Catherine, good. All right. Well, as Mel said, we are continuing in our series entitled Stand Strong. And we have been spending time looking at the full armor of God. In fact, we're at the early stages of this series and uh, the reason we started this series is I felt very led of the Lord that, you know, we, we're heading into a season where we are as a church. And when I say church, I don't just mean the Vineyard Church St. Albans. I mean the church global. I've seen a real increase in harvest of souls. But you see, as we push forward, I do believe, and having seen it, not just in my own life, but speaking to so many other Christians, that there is a real intensity of battle. You know, conflict is evidence that we're pushing forward. And, you know, we looked at uh, Ephesians 6, which we'll look at in a moment. And, and Paul likens this walk, this Christian living, this extended God's kingdom as a battle. And we unpacked that metaphor together. And we looked at that in the first uh, talk. And then last week, what we did was we looked at the first piece of armory, which is the belt of truth. And you can find that in Ephesians 6. And um, I said at the time, we asked two questions. Number one, uh, why a belt? And, and what truth? And uh, we split this talk up into two parts. And when we looked at why a belt, and this is his way of a recap, but of course, uh, you can catch up with these talks on our website, thevineyardchurch.co.uk forward slash talks, or get our smartphone app um, or your smartphone device, you can get our app and you can get them there. But we looked at, firstly, why a belt? Well, it affords protection, you see, for your loins. That ye old word, which essentially uh, means in that context, your inner strength, your inner, your inner part. You know that phrase, gird up your loins? That's what you do when you're about to brace and stand strong. And so what the belt does is it affords protection to be able to brace yourself. And the other part of a belt that we looked at is that the Roman belts, the Roman soldiers' belts, actually the belt not only afforded protection in that area, but enabled you to clip on other parts of the armory. 
other parts of the weapon. So as an example, the sword clipped onto the belt. Now this is where it's interesting. You see, it says in the scripture, the sword of the spirit, which is the word. Okay? Now here's the thing. If you don't believe the truth of who God is, and the truth that his word is infallible and errant, and we'll look at that later, then you're not going to use his word, are you? Because you're not going to believe that it has power, that it's truth. And that's, you see, how it's connected. And later on in the series, we're going to look at God's word in a bit more detail. So then we asked the second question, uh, what truth? And I said, well, there's really two areas of truth that we can uh, look at. The first was, and we looked at this last week, walking in, walking in truth. Or in other words, walking in sincerity. You know, doing that which you confess and profess to be right. And setting out not to do those things which you know to be wrong. And we looked at the challenge of walking the walk that God has commanded us to. And, and died on the cross for us to walk. That holy living. And we unpack that. And if you missed that, you can get that last week. But uh, You can get that talk from last week. But I also said the second truth was about the truth of who God is. The truth of God, and indeed related to that, the truth of who we are. And so that is what I want to look at this morning. And how that plays out in the battle sense. So let's look at this then. Why is this important? Why is... The truth of God important as we stand strong, as we press forward in extending God's kingdom. Because in a battle situation, if you are not strengthened in the truth of God, then the way you respond to the lies of the enemy will dictate whether you are able to stand strong or not. Let me give you an example of this. I remember, I was reflecting on this this week, when I was about 14 or 15, which is long, long time ago. Uh, um, actually, not that long ago. I'm very young. Um, you know, I was at church at the time where I went, and we had youth group in the evening, uh, and we had it in the lounge upstairs of our church that we were at. And I remember going there and waiting for the rest of the, the guys. I don't know where they were. And I was just thinking about who God was and who he is. And all of a sudden, the truth of the fact that he loved me so much, just overwhelmed every part of me. And it was, it was a, such a sense of joy and peace. I remember I just started laughing. I couldn't help it. I was just laughing and laughing. Uh, you know that phrase, when the penny drops? You know, I think for me, and I looked at it last week, another milestone in my Christian walk. That for me was one of those milestone mem uh, times where the penny dropped that God loved me so much and that I was secure in him. And all of a sudden, the big stuff that I was dealing with as a 15 or 14 year old kind of just zoop, shrank in view. The perspective changed. It's like when, um, you know, they, the, the, the Israelites went to, they went out the spies to see about the land, the promised land. And, and uh, Joshua and Caleb came back and unlike the other spies said, yeah, you know what? God's got this. The other spies said, no, there's giants in the land. What was the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the others? It wasn't that they saw different people. It was that Joshua and Caleb had the truth of who God was. That God was bigger than anything else. And you see, once you have that realization, that truth, it girds you. It enables you to stand strong. So that when the enemy throws lies at you and, and conflict, 
You could say, you know what? God is bigger. God loves me. I'm safe in his arms. You see, that is why the truth of who God is so important. And then once you've got that, you pick up your sword and say to the enemy, you know what? God says that I'm loved by him. God says that I'm safe in his arms. And we looked at that psalm earlier, didn't we, as I, as I looked at the promises of God. And you see, if you don't have that truth first, you'll never go for the sword because you don't start from a basis of truth. But I would say that the, the truth is, and if I were to give a title to this talk, I would call it this, the battle for truth. Because there is a battle going on around us for truth. The enemy is called what? One of his titles, the father of lies. The enemy lies to us. I mean, you see that very start, Adam and Eve, he lied to Adam and Eve. He got them away from God's truth. And I, as I reflected on the battle of truth, and I want to share some thoughts with you so you can have your eyes open to what this battleground of truth looks like. There are many reasons, and there are many things that happen, but I want to look at two this morning. The first one I'm going to touch on, albeit briefly, and then I am going to move and focus on a, a larger area that I want to unpack for us. But before we do that, I'd like us just to look in our Bibles at Ephesians 6 and remind us of this passage um, that we are looking at. It is Ephesians 6. It's called the Armour of God. And I want to read from verse 13. I'll start at verse 13, and then we're going to land on 14, which is what we're unpacking together. So the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore put on the full armour of God, not just parts of it, but all of it. You can't just pick and choose. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And he goes on to say, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, which of course, no surprises, is what we will look at next week. So let's look at the battle for truth. Those things that mean that we don't effectively put on that belt. Here's the first one, as we look at what's happened in the world around us. It is the lie that truth is not absolute. The lie that truth is not absolute. You know, when we talk about truth, we have to realize that we are in a world which is increasingly pushing against the notion of absolute truth, isn't it? Culture will tell you that truth is not, in fact, absolute. That truth, rather than being a constant and being universally held and applicable, truth is whatever you define it as. Whatever you define as truth is your truth. Who's heard that phrase, my truth? It's becoming more and more prevalent. Now listen, I get the sentiment of it. I think many people use it in the context of, I want to express my views, and I understand that, and I get that. But the subtlety of it is that we progressively move away from a place that truth is absolute 
to a place of relativism, relativism that says truth is whatever I define it to be. And by the way, don't you ever challenge me on that. I don't want to know about truth because I'll tell you what truth is. Well, unfortunately, can I just tell you, if that is your view, then that's inaccurate. Because this is truth, God's word. And you know, we could spend weeks on a Bible study around God's truth and his word, his immovable word. You see, it says in 2 Timothy, I want to read this to you. Because the reality is we shouldn't be surprised at this. It's not like, wow, what happened all of a sudden? Now, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, a kind of a young pastor, a bit like me, of course. I'm young. Um, 2 Timothy 4.3. I want to read this to you. This is instructions that the Apostle Paul was giving Timothy. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible because I love the way it expounds what Paul is saying. Let me read it. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy satisfy their own desires and to support, listen to this, the errors that they hold. Are we not seeing that? Are we not seeing that play out? In other words, truth is seen through the lens of my desires, not the lens of God's word. And as soon as we move on that path, and by the way, I've seen Christians do this. Rather than look at their lives and the world through the lens of God's truth, we look at God's truth through the lens of our desires. As soon as you start on that road, you get into trouble. You know, it says in John 17, 17, as Jesus was praying for his disciples and praying to the Father, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word truth. Sanctify, cleanse them by your truth. You see, God's truth cleanses us from those ways of error, from those desires that are not of God. But unfortunately, we live in a culture that is distancing itself from absolute truth, rather defining truth based on their own desires. So that's the first battleground of truth. It is the lie that truth is not absolute. And as I said, we could spend weeks on that, but we're going to move on. I'd like to focus on the second area. And I share this, having spoken to many of you in this lockdown time, of some of the challenges that you are facing as it relates to walking in God's truth. And I, and I share this in the hope that I can equip you and encourage you uh, as we walk out this faith. And it is this, it's the onslaught of truth. It is the onslaught of truth. You know, we have so much information and many claiming to know the truth out there. But the problem is we just, there's so much we cannot process it all. You know, lockdown has been fantastic in some regards that so much stuff has gone online. I mean, isn't it great that we're reaching so many more people through our church online? 
Um, and, you know, we've had so many great people like Joe Wicks doing some great exercises in the morning. I know many of you do that and many other things which have been beneficial. You know, we go to Google for all things these days, don't we? I was uh, jo- uh, remembering a conversation that Steph and I had with our kids a couple of days ago. And uh, Lucy, my oldest, uh, Ellie and Daniel. And they were having a conversation about boyfriends and girlfriends. Um, and one of them said, well, you can go out with someone, you can have a boyfriend or girlfriend when you're 11. And we said, oh yeah, how did you come up with that? Oh, we Googled it. Apparently, Google tells you that you can have a boyfriend or girlfriend at 11. Well, we, we said, I'm sorry to say that's not accurate. You know, we're your parents, blah, 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 blah. But, but that is the true. I mean, that generation are growing up with the, with the view that not only do you even have to type it, you can just say, hey, Google, can you tell me this? And it, that must be the truth. <laughs> there is so much information out there. But, you know, I was interested to read an article from Fast Company magazine, and it was written in 2015. And the title of this article is, Why is it so hard to pay attention? And I want to read this to you because I think this is fascinating and an insight in some of the challenges that we face today in the question and the battleground of truth. In 2011, it says, Americans took in five times as much information every day as they did in 1986. Now, this is 10 years ago. The equivalent of 174 newspapers. During our leisure time, not counting work, each of us processes 34 gigabytes or 100,000 words every day. The world's 21,274 television stations produce 85,000 hours of original programming every day as we watch an average of five hours of television daily, the equivalent of 20 gigabytes of audio video images. That's not even counting YouTube, which uploads 6,000 hours of video every hour. Now, this was written 10 years ago. I did a bit of research this morning and found out that fast forward 10 years, and where it used to be 6,000 hours of content every hour, Do you know what it is now? It's gone up 500% in 10 years. It's now 30,000 hours of video content is uploaded every hour. That's 720,000 hours of content a day. And computer gaming, it says here, I continue, it consumes more bytes than all other media put together, including DVDs, TVs, books, and other internet. And it goes on to conclude this. This is where I want to get to. Our brains have the ability to process the information we take in, but at a cost. We can have trouble, listen to this, separating the trivial from the important. You see, what is slowly happening with information overload from so many different sources is that we are having trouble and we are struggling seeing the truth from the error, from the important to the trivial. And I have spoken to some of you who have said to me, Mark, what about this or that about God? Because I heard on YouTube a preacher say this. Now, you know, 10 years ago, there were different conversations. It might be I read a book or I watched on God TV. But now there are hundreds upon thousands of videos out there more that will tell you the truth about God. 
And that is where error comes in. I'm reading a book at the moment. One of my books I'm reading is by a guy called Iranius. Great name. He's clearly not a modern uh, writer. He was actually, he wrote this book in 180 AD. And uh, he was one of the early church fathers. In fact, he was the Bishop of Lyon in France. He was actually born in modern day Turkey. And he wrote a book called Against Heresies. What is heresy? It's an error of God's truth. Now, Iranius was the uh, student of Polycarp, another great name. I love that name, Polycarp, who himself was a student of the Apostle John. Okay, And at the time, very early in the church, there were these errors that came in because everyone said, well, it's this and it's that. And actually, if you read it, you know, it says in Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun. They're the same type of errors that we see again and again. And so if you like, Arrhenius did the modern version fact-checking. You know, one of, the re- one of the things we've got to have now is something called fact-checking because we've got so much stuff out there. Well, what do you know is truth? And so Arrhenius had to write this book of, of fact-checking. And so as I was preparing, I thought what would be very interesting to do is a bit of fact-checking with us on some core truths of who God is. Because of the battle for truth, because of the onslaught of information, as your pastor, I want to help direct you and steer you into God's truth. And I want to reference some of the things that you have fed back to me are some of the questions of, well, is that true or is this true? And as I could spend hours on this, and by the way, at the end of this series, we're going to have another Q&A. If you've got any questions, you've got any fact-checking things you'd like us to do, send your questions in. But I want to look at three this morning, which I believe there is confusion around. And they all revolve around actually salvation and your security in Christ. And as I said, these have come through conversations with some of you, some emails, some comments. And I want to look at these three truths of who God are. And I want to do a bit of our own fact checking. Because if you go to YouTube and you Google in, you will get a plethora of views. I'm going to start with what I hope is is an easy one for us to answer. And I'm going to move into the third one, which is a little bit more complex. Here is one of the first errors that is seeping in, albeit so subtly. And by the way, this has been here throughout the church ages. Arrhenius had to deal with it too. Here it is. Anyone can get to heaven. Jesus just points us to how we should live our lives. Let me just say this. Good works won't get you to heaven. Copying Jesus will not get you to heaven. Do you understand? Your good works won't get you to heaven. Thinking that, well, if I just copied Jesus because he was a good teacher and I am good, then that's enough. It's not about your works. It's about being a child of God. It's about being adopted into his family. It's about trusting that Jesus is the only way. You know, it says in John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he goes on to say this, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to start in this fact-checking service by saying this, Jesus is the only way. 
Now, I've seen this recently um, play out in an oh-so-subtle way. I've even seen prominent Christian leaders in an effort for ecumenicalism, and I'm all a fan of of having dialogue, um, but going that one step further to interfaith and suggesting that we are all children of God, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Can I just say that's inaccurate? We are all his creation. But it is, we're not all his children until we say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Paul says this, Romans 8, 14, listen. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, why do I bring this up? And why is it so subtle? Because as as long as you start telling everybody they're not children of God, the question is, okay, so how comes you have an inheritance and an eternity with him and I don't then? Do you see how that subtlety, and I could just say, well, children of God, you go, yeah, that's great. And I get the sentiment. I get it. We're all God's creation. But the problem is, is that it seeds that notion that if we're all children of God and we can all pray to a God, then what's the gospel message? Jesus died on the cross in order that we can have relationship. We are adopted into the family, to use another scripture. And and I feel like I just need to shout this from the rooftop sometimes, which is in an effort to be inclusive, you know, and and think about other people in other faiths. And we want to have a dialogue and we want to have peace with all men. What we are inadvertently doing is diluting the power of the gospel message, which is Jesus died on the cross. Because if we're all children of God, why did he die? If we can all have relationship with the Father, why did Jesus die on the cross? And I bring this up because I've had some conversations with people and it is subtle. And there are prominent Christian leaders who are starting to talk like this. And the danger is they're moving away from the only way to the Father is through Jesus. Listen, we need to fulfill the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Spreading the good news of Jesus, the gospel of peace, that Jesus enables us to have peace with the Father. I could spend a long time on this. You can see I'm getting animated, but in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to another era. And this is subtle as well, and this is causing confusion. And I know there are some in our, in our own church family who are confused about this. Um, and I want, here it is. This is, the, this is the, the era. You need to be baptized before you are truly saved. Let me be as clear as crystal. You are saved by grace, through faith in Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8. Romans 10.9-10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, having said all of that, that does not mean baptism is unimportant. And there are scriptures that say we are to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is a symbolic act of of dying with Christ to our old self and coming out of the waters of baptism alive in Christ Jesus as a new creation. It is an opportunity of a public declaration that we are followers of Jesus, a public confession of our faith. 
and our commitment to him. It's oh so important. And the reason I bring this up is some of you have said, listen, we haven't been in the church building for such a long time and I've become a Christian that time and I'm worried that I haven't been baptized. I want to just say as clear as possible, you are saved. You truly believe in Jesus and you put your, and you put your hope in him and you confess, you're, you're saved, okay? And this is another subtlety that I'm seeing more and more out in there in the plethora of truths that unless you're baptized, you're not saved. I want to just take that burden off you right now and that error. Now, I cannot wait for us to do baptisms again. and I cannot wait. We're going to do that. And boy, what a celebration it's going to be. It's okay. God knows. God knows. But you are saved when you confess your faith in Jesus. Okay, I hope that's been helpful. Now we're going to get onto something a little bit more uh, confusing. It's this. The error is this. You can lose your salvation if you mess up. Fact check number three. There are many out there will say that if you mess up and if you backslide, you've lost your salvation. And I've spoken to some who have shared this with me recently that they were told even from a young age that, well, if you're lukewarm, talking about that, the, the church in, um, in, the, in, in the book of Revelation, I think it's Laodicea, said, you know, you're neither hot nor cold. I, I, I spit you out if you're lukewarm. They've taken that inaccurately and then put it on someone around their salvation. And it's put them under, under a burden their whole life to say, well, I've got, to, I've got to watch out what I do because if I mess up, I'm going to lose my salvation. Now, when we look at this point, this is not a point about whether or not Christians fall or even fall badly. We do. Christians do. We know some do even quite radically. The question I want to address here is not whether or not Christians fall, but if they do, do they lose their salvation? And I want to say this, no. Let me start from the outset. For those who truly put their faith in Jesus Christ, then they cannot lose their salvation. Now, listen, um, there are many... Christians that I respect and admire and that are godly and who hold a different view. So I want to share you as your pastor, my position and the position that part of, of Orthodox Christianity. Orthodox being rooted in those, in those Orthodox, those firm beliefs that have always been there. And let me just give you a few reasons why you do not lose your salvation if you backslide. Number one, your works don't dictate your salvation. Now listen to this. I already said that we are saved not by works, lest any man would boast, as Paul says, but by the grace of God, his unmerited favor, through our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's actually because Jesus has worked, his perfect spotless lamb, that when the Father looks at us, he sees us as spotless. His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus has been given to us and our sins were put on Jesus and he died for those sins. That was that divine exchange. Now, as soon as you therefore say that my works dictate whether or not I hold on to my salvation, you get into the error then, don't you? That your works are the thing that is, uh, keeps you in salvation. It's just wrong. As soon as you think that by messing up, it means that you've lost your salvation, you are walking ever so slightly and subtly into salvation by works. 
And all of a sudden, it's not about the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. It's about how good I can be to keep my salvation. Now, as the Apostle Paul said, just because we have God's grace doesn't mean that it's a license for us to do whatever we want. (laughs) This is not to then downplay another heresy, which is you downplay sin. You say, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, because of the grace of God, you can do what you like. That's clearly unscriptural. You can get that fact-checking service for free, that point, and a fourth point for free. You know, we are to live a life that's holy. In fact, the whole point of Ephesians is about how we have Christian living, and that's why we're in this battle. But getting into that mindset that I've lost my salvation, oh, flip, because I've messed up is inaccurate. Here's another one. I'll give you another reason. Because we become a new creation. I think Ezekiel Ezekiel uh, puts it best in the Old Testament, the prophet. He says this, 36, 26. And this was a prophetic uh, declaration of what God was going to do in the new covenant with Jesus. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, what happens, therefore, is we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's no going back. It's not like God says, well, you messed up. Can I just take that heart that I gave you out? (laughs) We become a new creation. Now, we might not walk in the fullness that God has for us. You know, when you you fall back and you, you live a life separate to God, where before you had professed the faith and you know, now you're walking backwards, you're going to miss out on the blessings and the benefit of relationship now. But that doesn't mean that, that God says, well, they've messed up, so I'm going to take that heart out I gave them. No. And I want to um, say this as a third point then. You will always be his child. And this references the first point that I made about how we become children when we accept Jesus as our Lord. Let's look at the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. What happened? Well, the prodigal son said to the father, I'm going to leave you. I want you to give me everything I've got now, and I'm going to say goodbye, and I'll do my own thing. He backslid. And there came a point where he realized what he was doing, but that whole time he was still the father's child. The father didn't say, well, listen, you can do that, but you're no longer going to be my child. The father does not say that. The moment that we become... The, uh, the God's child, that is it. We're adopted into the family. We don't no, no longer become his child. We are always his child. And there are many other scriptures to spend time on here. Like John 10, 28, when Jesus says, neither shall any man pluck them, us, out of my hand that the Father has given Christ. Or Ephesians 1, 13, that says, we are sealed for the day of redemption. Or 1 Peter 1.15, 5, sorry, that says, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And so this is a really important one because I'm seeing more and more people get lost in this era and get bound up. And actually, once you start getting into that circle, things just get worse and worse. I want to just tell you that once you are saved, Once you profess a faith in Jesus, you are saved. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Yes, you might think you separate yourself and walk a, a, a walk that is separate to the Father, just like the prodigal son. And some who have fallen away have come back now, but 
You know, the point at which we go to heaven, that's when many who have fallen away will come back to the Father. And the Father will accept them because they'll always be his children. So I hope this little fact-checking exercise has been helpful. I hope that this has highlighted some of the subtlety of some of the errors that are getting out there at the moment. It's great that because of COVID, you know, we can access so much information online. But I just want to say, be careful what you watch and what you listen to. And as your church, if you have any questions such as this, we want to help you process some of that stuff. You can email us, pastoral at thevineyardchurch.co.uk, and we can help you through that. Um, as I said, at the end of this series, we're going to do a Q&A. If you would like, if you've got any questions such as these that you're wondering about, why don't you email us and we can uh, answer those questions. So that's, that's it really from me. I want to go back to the start of this talk and just say the importance of understanding that truth is not relative. Because as soon as you base your life on something that's movable, you'll always be prone to shaking. But as long as you live your life on the truth of who God is and who he says you are, you can stand firm and stand strong on the onslaught of the enemy. Now, for some of you this morning, there might be errors that the Holy Spirit has highlighted in your life that the Lord is challenging you on. How are you going to respond? For some means repentance. Saying, Lord, I, what does repentance mean? Turning away from that way of thinking and saying, Lord, I just want to embrace your truth. But for some of you this morning, maybe you've yet to even say, Jesus, you are the only way, you are the only truth, and you are the only life. And this morning, the invitation to you is to say yes to Jesus, to become a child of God, to be adopted into the family, to receive the inheritance that God has for you, eternity with him. And if that's you this morning, why don't you put your hand up virtually, you can do it in the chat room. If you're at home, just put your hand up, I'd love to pray with you now. And how do you respond to that if that's you? You say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I need you. I confess, Lord, that you are God and I repent for my sins. Would you forgive me, Lord? If you've done that this morning, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, then you are now part of God's family and we celebrate with you. If that's you, let us know. We want to be able to connect with you and send you a Bible. You can email us, the office at... Uh, or reach out to our pastoral team.